You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Feminism ruins everything. Really, if you want to know about trans people, all you need to know is that when someone tells you their name, that's their name. When someone tells you their gender, that's their gender. And when someone tells you their pronouns, use those pronouns. The voice that you just heard was that of our wonderful friend, Ollie, who we recorded this episode with. Um, They are a non-binary person and they were very generous with their time and their energy having this discussion with us about their experience of gender and all of the things that relate to that. Welcome to this month's Taboo Tuesday. This is our monthly segment where we take a taboo topic and we attempt to destigmatize and demystify it. We'd like to acknowledge that we're recording this podcast on Ghana land. Uh, this is stolen country of the Ghana people, and we'd like to pay our respects to Ghana elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. We had such a wonderful conversation with Ollie about how they came to understand their gender and how... Uh, their relationship with the media kind of influenced that yeah. and just kind of gave us an insight as to their specific journey uh, living as a non-binary person. Yeah. We also received contributions from my very dear friend, Zach, who also shared uh, their insights about their understanding of their gender. Uh, and we thought that it was really important to have multiple perspectives for mm. this topic. Something that Ollie touched on in our discussion with them was about the fact that one person's experience of being non-binary is not representative of all non-binary people, mm. uh, and like, nor should it be. Uh, so, so while having multiple perspectives in this episode is um, like slightly more representative, again, like the the two people that we reached out to to contribute, of course, can't speak to the experience of everyone who mm. is non-binary. I hope you enjoy these discussions uh, and learn a lot from them, as we certainly did. Absolutely. Enjoy. We are so excited today to be chatting to certified history nerd, all-round good human being, Ollie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So cool. <laughs> um, so we are really excited to chat to you about um, your gender experience um, as a non-binary person. Um, we were very lucky that you reached out with an offer to like chat to us about that experience, and um, we're really happy that we're able to like communicate this to to our listeners through. So, um, do you want to chat to us a little bit about? Uh, your experience of being non-binary and um, coming to the realisation that you were? So I went to an all-girls school uh, in high school and was just very, very depressed for most of high school for um, probably other reasons as well. But, like, one of the symptoms of that, I guess, was that for most of high school I really didn't feel like a person. And then it was kind of in first-year uni that I started living my life for ways that fit me more and feeling like a person and stuff and it was in that experience that I realized that I felt like a real person but I still didn't feel like a girl I still didn't feel like a woman at all and I really just didn't identify with any of the types of femininity or womanhood that I'd been prescribed I guess from day dot and the first time the first time I realized that I didn't want to be interacting with the world from the perspective of like being a woman was when I met someone who was a YouTuber who's non-binary, um, came to Adelaide and had a group meetup. It was in 2016. Um, and the first thing they did was they asked us to go around the circle and everyone could introduce their name and pronouns. And it was the first time I was asked what my pronouns were. And when it got to me, I just knew that I couldn't say she, her, and that my whole life everyone had been using she, her pronouns for me. But being asked what my pronouns were, I I knew that Mm. it wasn't she, her. And I was with one of my best friends at the time, Corey, and uh, she kind of just 
took over and was like, I'm Corey, my pronouns are she, her, and the rest of the circle went around. And that was the real start of me being like, wow, I definitely am not a woman and I don't want to be a woman Mm -hmm. or be perceived as a woman anymore. Um, And then over the next year or so, I told maybe a few friends about it. Um, Non-binary gender identity wasn't a thing that people had really talked about very much. Mm -hmm. I'd only heard about it through... Uh, like online friends and there was a web series called Camilla which <laughs> we can talk about absolutely <laughs> and so I had a couple of non-binary friends overseas and I talked to them and I was very confident in myself before I started talking to my friends and being like hey so I don't think I'm a girl and um, that conversation kind of started off being just my really close friends until I started organising going on an exchange to America and I kind of went to the States and just told everyone (laughs) that I was non-binary. I'm going by Ollie now. I'm going to be away for a few months and when I get back, could you please use the name Ollie and they then pronounce for me. Um, I use that as a way to kind of confront and run away from the problem. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it was a really great experience. Uh, When I was in the States, I met a bunch more people who were non-binary, and that was incredible, like, being around other people who also weren't, like, a binary gender was Mm. so incredible. And everyone has their own experience of what it's like to be non-binary, and there are lots of different genders within that category. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what non-binary means... Um, how do you explain gender theory in a, in a sentence? Well, we've um, had another guest on the show before, um, Max, who is non-binary and they specifically identify as being gender fluid. Cool. And they talk about it... Um, hi, Max, if you're listening, love you. Um, <laughs> as, like, just a, an umbrella term. Like, trans is, like, yeah. the overriding umbrella and then... Under that, there are the umbrellas of, like, binary transness, then, like, non-binary transness, but, like, there's a whole bunch of other genders. Yeah, I think that an umbrella is a good way of looking at it. But, like, if the non-binary umbrella kind of pokes out of the trans umbrella as well, though, because there are definitely folks who are non-binary who don't consider themselves trans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And even that is such a huge difference of experience. My own experience is... um, I use the word agender for uh, the first probably year or so and like I still know that for me that's how I feel in terms of my specific identity is like I know I'm not a woman and the more I um, the more I interact with society being perceived as a man the more I'm like oh, okay I like this this feels comfortable this feels I feel like I can be myself and I'm not compromising myself um, but I also I know I'm not a man either, and I don't really feel... If you've met me, you know I'm not masculine in the slightest. Um, one of my favourite things... I, one of my favourite interactions was when I came out to my grandma, and she said to me, but, but you've always been so... dandy. <laughs> and I was like, Grandma. Grandma, I'm still dandy. <laughs> I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> What's your gender, Ollie? Dandy. 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 That's beautiful. <laughs> it was wonderful. My grandma's excellent. She often doesn't know quite what to say, but she'll make up for it by accidentally saying the most beautiful thing ever. One time I went over to her house and she wanted to introduce... Like, she, she'll walk into the house and be like, Neil, my grandpa, um, your beautiful grandson's here, or like your wonderful... Um, granddaughter and because it was me and she didn't want to gender me she she just looked at me and she was like Neil I found something wonderful in the garden (laughs) and and it was me so wholesome I love her so much that's so wonderful you're something wonderful in the garden yeah I just found something in the garden (laughs) (laughs) yeah so she's great like that 
one of the strange things about it is being like the first non-binary person someone's met and having them be like, wow, what, what's that like? Where er, actually everyone's interaction with gender is so different. Like imagine if I said to you, oh, you're the first man I've ever met. <laughs> Tell me about being a man. Like it's a question that I've never been asked before. Mm. I guess that's, that's one of the, the many privileges that I as a straight, white, cisgendered man have that that people kind of have an assumption about what it is like to to be a man or what my experience is like like I am quite uncertain of how to describe what it is to be a man mm. when asked that question and so I can only imagine how difficult or confronting it would be to for somebody to say well how did you how do you know that you're this when it's just how you feel inside mm. like do you still know that I imagine you still you just described yourself as cisgender so like still know you're a man yeah I, I, I've never had that um, I've had never had that questioning in my life the same way that I've, I've like I've, I've asked myself the question about my sexuality but very kind of quickly come to it no I'm, I'm probably straight um, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that question took me so many years yeah. <laughs> Like, every now and again, I go, Chris Pine? Uh, nah, still straight. The, the um, actor, not the politician. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I just yes. like to make that very clear. Oh, I forgot the politician was a guy, because yeah. there's only one Chris Pine in my heart. Uh, but but in terms of, like, traditional gender roles, like, I, I, I think that where I struggle with it is, like, with what masculinity is, and a lot of the ways that masculinity is defined by society I don't follow that like I like musicals and theatre and I love to hug people and I hate beer and sports are dumb um, and I don't like cars and I don't, I don't know what do men like I don't, I don't punch drywall all the time like... <laughs> so many so many <laughs> this is so interesting to me because I think like if, 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 if what you just described is like what it means to be manly like that would be a huge reason I've spent my life being like mm, I'm not a man <laughs> when was the last time you were punched some drywall <laughs> um, I don't think that's a thing that I've done yeah but like on the other hand like because I went to an all-girls school and just I did a lot of choir which was mostly girls mm. I didn't really know that many guys until like I got into uni and that was when I started seeing that guys can just be whatever they want also. Like, mm. I think often we talk about how women can be whatever they want and women can be masculine if they want. And part of the discussion of feminism that I think is missing is that guys can also be whatever they want. Mm. And, like, that's why the last few years since I've started presenting as a guy, um, because, I mean, we live in a binary society, so your options are kind of present as a woman or a man or someone who makes people really really uncomfortable um which is sometimes how I like to present but let me tell you that's a scary way of living life mm. yeah I really admire people who like actually present androgynously all the time so like presenting as a guy and having more friends who are guys is realizing that I can still hug my friends I can mm. still do all of those yeah. same things as before I remember the first time I, um, after, after coming out to some of my friends, we, we, we had some sleepovers and I was really nervous about what, what that would look like for me. And it still involved all of the same, like, cuddling, we ended up spooning, like, same stuff as before. And I realised that, like, there is so much space for wholesome masculinity mm. just to exist. And, like, we talk about toxic masculinity all the time, but I also really like to talk about how wonderful some guys are and how much like 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 with like with the JK Rowling um, discourse at the at the moment turfs trans exclusive radical feminists don't actually represent feminism mm. like yeah. and like i've seen some articles being like feminists against trans people and it's like making it look like all feminists dislike trans people. Mm. 
but it's just a tiny bunch of problematic feminists. Yeah. Mm. And we still need to talk about TERFs, but I think that toxic masculinity, we need to talk about the toxic parts of masculinity without making it seem like that is... Oh my gosh, I'm going to do a not all men. <laughs> no, that's what's happening here. Oh, okay. There is room for nuance. There's room for nuance. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think a lot, I mean, slight, slight tan. Oh when, you, when you accidentally not all men yourself. Oh, gosh. I think there's a, there's a difference with. With regards to like toxic masculinity, like I think I think some people uh, hear the phrase toxic masculinity and assume we are talking about anything that is masculine is mm, toxic. toxic. Yeah. Without re- recognizing that there is a nuance to the fact that it's like, well, there are elements of traditional masculinity that are toxic. There's some stuff that's really good. Like we'll keep the good bits, but let's edit out the bad bits. Yeah. Kind of like this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's really cool. Um, I wonder if you share this perspective that as somebody who is neither a man or a woman that you have um, that you're kind of really uniquely positioned to kind of from a um, an outside perspective kind of examine gender roles a lot. Do you find that? I absolutely. I am so hyper aware of gender and. I like I think about it literally all the time but especially having gone from presenting as a woman to presenting as a man the ways my interactions with society have changed like for example um, as I mentioned before I grew up doing a lot of choir and in my group of choir friends we do this thing where we all talk at the same time and we're all listening at the same time so I got really used to just talking over people but also under them at the same time and around them and side to side Whereas now that my voice is deep, if I'm in a conversation with lots of people and I start talking, other people stop and listen. And that is whack to me. Like, I don't know what to do. And I, I, I often will stop and be like, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. And then I have to be like, oh, wait, but I, I did interrupt. That's what I was doing. And examine my own behaviours because now that I have this voice, I want to use it in ways that are respectful to everyone. So... I've had to edit the way I contribute to conversations because if I start talking when a woman's talking, then people will listen to me instead. Mm. Whereas before when I presented as a woman and when I had like a softly spoken, quite high-pitched voice, I could talk at the same time as my friends and we'd have those kind of conversations where everyone's talking that I feel like you can have with groups of friends. Mm. But when it comes to classroom discussions or anything professional, as soon as my voice is, as soon as I speak, I have absolutely felt the change in how I'm heard. And it's huge to me. That's so wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That you can firsthand experience be like, yes, if I have a more masculine voice, people will respect my voice more. That is yeah intense wow it's it's been a big time it's it's especially interesting in conversations about feminism (laughs) where i know that i need to sit back because it is not my place to speak you are a fantastic advocate and communicator um for for your community and i have learned a lot about the experience of being non-binary from um from what you share online especially. Um, and we wanted to talk about, I suppose, the um, the pressure of being an ambassador for, um, for your community and um, what that is like and some of the complications of that, I suppose. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you bring up online especially because when I share things online, what happens most of the time is I'll have a conversation in real life maybe three or four times and then maybe the fifth time I'll be like okay this is a common theme um and it's a point of discussion that I think needs to happen um maybe if I share about it online then I can have this conversation in person a little bit less 
So in some ways it is me kind of going forward and trying to share my voice, but it's also me trying to have to talk less at the same (laughs) time. Like, I'll have this conversation on my own terms where I get to hold the camera instead of at a party where I'm just getting, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Also, I have some questions, (laughs) which is a conversation that has happened surprisingly often. Mm. That must be exhausting, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I don't have to come out anymore uh, because I now like people automatically interpret me as a guy and I'm very okay with that and so it's not like uncomfortable for me whereas when I used to present as a woman I used to be like actually no I'm not and I used to have to like come out all the time if I wanted to be treated as who I am Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time people's reaction was like oh I haven't met someone non-binary before or like oh I haven't met a trans person I haven't met someone non-binary and then it's like a trans 101 kind of conversation which is fun but also very tiring Mm. also you just like want to live your life like you don't have to be explaining the trans experience like every second of the day (laughs) yeah yeah it would be super nice not to do that but also I think like every time I have a conversation with someone maybe that's like a bunch of questions that they won't want to ask the next person so especially if it's like an invasive question like asking about what's in my pants or something like that or like my sex life um if I can respectfully kindly explain to a person why that's not really a nice thing to ask Mm. then maybe they aren't gonna ask someone else again yeah one time I literally I was at um Mary's Poppin I ducked outside to get some fries from Hungry Jack's (laughs) and then was eating them on the curb and like I'm sure if you've been in this situation you can imagine it yeah um vividly (laughs) (laughs) uh but then this guy came and sat down next to me and offered me um he offered me something. I was like, oh, no, thanks. And he was like, oh, also, I just wanted to, like, ask you some questions. Are you a guy or a girl? And I was just, like, quite drunk eating my fries on the curb <laughs> outside Mary's. If so, anyone um, listening doesn't know, Mary's Poppin is, like, a queer club in Adelaide. Yeah, it's it's a time. <laughs> like, time and a place. A time and a place, like, right? But also, if I can tell this guy politely that I'm not going to have sex with him so he doesn't need to know, then maybe he won't do this to other people again. Mm. And, like, if I can stay not angry and stay, like, chill, then maybe we can actually have a productive discussion. So I think that, like, I've put a lot of energy into trying to be a palatable person. Mm. I think, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like palatable activism is something that's kind of been brought up on this podcast a few times, and it's something mm. that I know Mim is quite. Well, yeah. Mim, because I know that one of your other things is like um, making feminism accessible to like a general audience, which I am hugely about in terms of gender, because I don't think gender theory or discourse should be limited to only folks who can like read Judith Butler, for example. Mm. Because that, that's dense. That's yeah. real dense. Like, you shouldn't have to do a degree to, like... Really, if you want to know about trans people, all you need to know is that when someone tells you their name, that's their name. When someone tells you their gender, that's their gender. And when someone tells you their pronouns, use those pronouns. Sick. That's it. Yeah. Pretty straightforward, really. Mm. <laughs> also write trans representation but also hire trans people to write trans representation you mentioned uh, a web series earlier called camilla that was kind of imperative in your discovery about your own gender can you tell us a little bit about that okay. yes. <laughs> have you been waiting for this moment absolutely <laughs> i love camilla and i love any chance to talk about it um so Carmilla was a web series sponsored by You by Cotex, which is a like period product company, and it's based on a novella, 
which was not not really great, but the web series is fantastic. <laughs> it was recorded, the first season was recorded over a two-day period in a single room, like from a single camera setup. And it's just got like a bunch of really feminist directors and producers on board and uh, like representation of women loving women and a non-binary character and the person who Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Played the non-binary character, Caitlin Alexander, realized that they were non-binary through playing that character and they have their own twitter and youtube so they kind of documented that as well and it was just absolutely pivotal to me realizing first that i liked women which was mind-blowing and secondly that i was not a woman myself Mm. and the existence of that web series just absolutely the existence of this web series and particularly the presence of a non-binary character and women loving women was pivotal in you understanding your own gender and I suppose is a real real testament to the importance of representation um, because by virtue of the fact that you saw it represented here you realize that that's who you were as well yeah and it brought such a it's such a sense of understanding and it wasn't just to me it was a whole group of people who were watching that web series found themselves represented and um through that fandom I actually made friends with some other non-binary people and one of them I'm still friends with today and we've had a whole friendship has been brought together from seeing that character, seeing ourselves in that character, and then finding other people who also see themselves in that character, which I think is just so beautiful. <sighs> I love Camilla. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that uh, it's incredible that there was non-binary representation in Carmilla because I feel that that is something that is very lacking mm. in media in general. Like, the only other non-binary character that I can think of off the top of my head is Double Trouble from She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I was talking to you earlier and I mentioned that when I went on exchange they had a really good um, program of having speakers come. Mm -hmm. Jacob Tobiah was someone who I got to see. Oh, incredible. I I went and got like thick shakes with Jacob Tobiah in 2017. That is so cool. I know. (laughs) I, yeah, I... Yeah, when Double Trouble t- came out as a character, I, I, I had I had some moments. <laughs> um, yeah, Double Trouble is so great, and I love what they bring to the show as just a gender-fluid, wonderful, fantastic character, and there's mm. never a discussion of their gender. They just exist. It's, mm. it's so normalised. It's so normalised. Like, that entire show normalised both dads, never yeah. anything. Um, Spinnerella and Natossa, for people listening, I'm just listing queer couples. <laughs> um, and everyone just being fantastically gay. And yeah. Like, that's just how Etheria is, the, the magical world we're talking about. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that the creator of that series, Noelle Stevenson, is uh, non-binary themselves. You mentioned before that Carmilla was created by Ubicotex, which is the period 
product brand who are allegedly very feminist and awesome um do you want to talk to us about your experience of being non-binary and experiencing periods yeah for sure um this is something that i'm quite passionate talking about because I think that it's ridiculous when you get period packaging where it's like, mm, sexy woman, goddess. Whereas <laughs> my experience of having my period is, oh, cool, give me chocolate and a nap, please. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I found periods a lot more uncomfortable to talk about since, I think, since my voice broke and I started feeling like my what what I was saying was making people immediately think about my bodily anatomy and I think the important part of that is that who I am as a person just really doesn't have anything to do with my genitals Mm. and that's like one of the weird conversations about periods is it's just assuming that people get their periods that means they're a woman and that's not how that works that's the good thing about the fact that rather than talking about like women in periods it's like people who menstruate people who experience periods like kind of being the language that is starting to become more normalized around menstruation and um you're somebody who like benefits from that inclusive language absolutely I really appreciate that type of language and I think especially one of the experiences um is when I have to talk to my doctors about it I go to Shine SA because they work with LGBT people a lot and so I've had some really great experiences of talking to my nurses about my period or about contraception who who would literally just go through, like print out an information thing for me and then be like, one sec before I give this to you and just go through and scribble out all of the words and replace them with like non-gendered words Mm. just so that I'm not constantly reading about how I'm a woman because... I'm not. Yeah. Mm. I think it's important that we normalise the idea that periods aren't what make a woman a woman because mm. lots of women don't get their periods. And I'm not just talking about trans women. I'm talking about children. I'm talking yeah. about older women. Um, I think the idea that, like, when an eight-year-old gets their period for the first time... And their mum celebrates by being like, you're a woman now. That's very well intended, but oh boy, that sure is weird, isn't it? Yeah. That's an (laughs) eight-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And also it's like, oh, because you can now bear children, that's what defines your femininity. Yeah. Like, cool. You can do that. Now here's your place in society. Yeah. Mm. It's trash. Trash. Trash is a good word. Mm. Having those conversations about both gender and bodies is so important for everyone, like cis, trans, in between. Like, oh, also that's another thing. It's not just a being non-binary. I'm quite against binaries in general. It's not a binary between cis and trans. There's definitely identities which fall outside either of those. And any anything that you think is a binary is. (laughs) <laughs> probably probably not a binary. <laughs> Except maybe literal binary code for computers. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you can have that singular one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. As someone who is non-binary, what is your relationship with contraception like? That's a good question. Um Yeah, that's a good question. I think that that's another conversation that when I talk to my doctors, it actually does have to be about, like, my body and um, contraception for me. Like, I really don't want to get pregnant. I've been on testosterone for a couple of years and I don't think that would be a very good time for me. There are, like, trans folks who want to experience pregnancy and that's... I think that they're, like... In in my head, I liken them to, like, those gods, which are male gods, which have children. Like, that's what I think of trans men mm-hmm. who have children. I think they're incredible. Um, but it's not a thing that I personally want. And so I need to go on 
contraception and all of the contraception is labelled in feminine ways, of course. Mm. And I've had a really positive experience with having understanding GPs who will completely remove any of their gendered language, which I think is really great. But I do think that that's an ongoing conversation which needs to be had. Um, And it's really just made me aware of how little the different types of contraception are talked about in even in school and stuff and like mm-hmm. the different effects of contraception and um because I'm because I'm used to feeling the difference in my hormones when I got a shot of a progesterone only contraception I felt all of the chemical changes and I think that everyone should be more aware of that but it's your overwhelming experience that contraception for people that have uteruses Mm. are very binary and very like oriented towards women only yeah very binary very oriented towards women only and also like if if you're using contraception and you're still having like sex with multiple partners you still need to use a condom folks absolutely (laughs) just a fun fyi it's not from personal experience it's just a fun fact i thought i'd throw out there shout out to shine sa shout out to shine sa they're beautiful (laughs) one thing i'm not sure i mentioned was that like in that thing where people are like oh you're the first non-binary person i've met and then i'm like kind of given the responsibility of representing an entire group I don't actually have any authority to do that and I'm very aware of that and I will try and make an effort to be like this is just my experience and so I guess this is my podcast equivalent of saying hey folks my name's Ollie and I am just one person I probably know more about trans people than people who aren't trans and I know more about non-binary people than people who aren't non-binary but like that doesn't mean that I am any kind of authority really just living my life oh you are an absolute star you are dandy in every sense um thank you so much for your your wisdom and for um giving us a little bit of insight into your experience and we're really grateful that you joined us thanks for having me it's been lots of fun i'm on a spinny chair (laughs) We're now going to hear from Zach, and they've sent us something that, when I first listened to it, I thought was just kind of beautiful. Um, I have a lot of respect for Zach as a person and as an artist, and this was so them. And so I'm really excited to to share their thoughts and their stream of consciousness. I hope you enjoy Hello. it as much as I did. Uh, my name's Zach. I'm, a, uh, I'm the person that you're about to hear speaking. I'm a theatre maker. I'm a performer. And my pronouns are they, them. And I just want to say before we move on that um, I have quite gnarly ADHD and the current situation doesn't make it any easier to function sometimes. So when Ellis very kindly asked me to kind of speak about some stuff around inspiration or role models or or things in the, the industry or in the world of art that have inspired me, I have, I found that quite daunting, very difficult that's really hard to answer because I think that answer changes every day Um, because I take different things from different places and different people depending on how I'm feeling because my exploration is so far from over and and I think there's so much about gender at the moment is not about answering questions um, because we don't need that at the moment. We need the conversation to be about the freedom to continuously explore, if that makes sense. And so I recorded myself on the way to the hospital, uh, not anything to do with the current uh, pandemic, I promise. But um, so it's a, it's a little bit rambly and it's a little bit quiet, and it, but I feel like it's important to sort of allow a meditative response. At least that's how I feel. And so that being said, please... Uh, go with me or, or tune out. I don't know. Uh, who cares about answers? Because we don't know the questions yet. All right. I love you all. Bye. Hello. This is going to be relatively rambly. 
but I'm going to cut together a few little moments because I think that this conversation is somehow both very new and as old as time. So very large, but also very specific. And so often putting it into words feels uh, really daunting, at least for me. It's also why there are so many elements of the, the wider gender conversation that have existed in art for so long before there, were, there was language around it. It's a very emotional conversation to have. That my conversation about my gender, about being non-binary, has been for my whole life, but I didn't know it was a conversation about my gender until a few years ago. When I was when I was kind of gifted with some new language, I suppose, that helped me sort of pinpoint what it was I was exploring or grappling with. Yeah, I'm in a busy hospital. So many bodies, faces are masked, voices mixed together. Little eye contact, everybody's on their own, but it's all together. Being told where to go, where to move. It's very fascinating. It's very fascinating how people respond to control or to rules, what they do when they when they meet a, a wall or a ceiling or, or, or a fence, whether it's metaphorical or literal. I think, I think that's the right words. Real or fake, real or a representative of a more abstract idea. Hello. Sorry, I'm just getting... Hi there. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. What brings you to hospital today? I'm getting my blood... I'm going to pathology. I'm getting a blood test. Tell me what's your name, please. Uh, Zachary Pidd. This is wild. Just putting a face mask on. Yeah, I think that... For me... It has been about how... Gender, you know, or, you know the, the conversation, the challenge of finding a tr- an honest way of expressing what gender has got so much to do with how do you radically challenge norms or challenge the rules whilst maintaining empathy, civility, sort of respect for the world, exploring the gender binary and its beautiful fluidity is the opposite of bureaucracy. It's chaotic and it's rambling and it's fluid, which is why it's so hard often, especially if you're an actor working in theatre that in its, at its core adheres, to, <laughs> not at its core, but kind of adheres to those same rules. Uh, a close friend once said to be queer is to understand dimensional travel and I think that really speaks to gender in a huge way I think that there's something anachronistic about my queerness because you have to kind of pick and choose the scraps of the things that you are refusing (laughs) um you know, a cultural vulture because the things you're being told may be wrong but what else have you got? The the role models so often you sort of have to accept elements of what they're saying because the exploration is ongoing. There are no definites. For me, it makes sense to found a lot of you know, uh, male identifying people exploring a more feminized version of themselves or exploring the femininity. And for me, that was wild and so exciting as I was there, sort of being quiet and not telling people how I felt and all of this awful, toxic bullshit that I assumed I had to do. It felt so performative. Gender is inherently performative in so many ways, but. It's just a role you kind of suck at. It's those bad, those 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 horror stories you tell at the bar. 
my gender was that horror story. It was the worst gig I ever did. I don't know what I've said or what I want to say, really. I apologise if I've made little to no sense or covered no ground, but it's actually a really daunting topic and one that I'm still negotiating with in this major way. With love and fear, my God. Especially in terms of being a performer, being my professional career. I, it took me years to properly sort of speak honestly about that with you know, my agent. And there were kind of multiple circles of people. I just didn't, I didn't know. I was afraid of being abandoned by it because I couldn't figure out how to be there, honestly. The, the agony of waiting for the world to catch up sometimes can be terrifyingly profoundly slow. And it takes its toll, so it's a weight. Uh, in writing music, my whole life, but I think I kind of started writing music properly in early high school. They were kind of just, for me, they were, they were, they were, they were songs that I couldn't, they didn't have a home except for in my own brain, in my ears. And at the time I felt the lyrics to be entirely arbitrary. So I just wrote, sang random words. I think the first thing that came to mind that sounded kind of cool seems to fit and for the longest time they, that's what they were they were meaningless lyrics the songs never left me and they were the sort of things that I would sort of revisit and rewrite and rejig there was always something worth revisiting but the lyrics themselves had no meaning to me and then a few years later or no, ten years later I was on a, an artist retreat. Uh, me and my collaborative partner were making a show for the Next Way Festival, and um, we went away with them to this beautiful place in UN country, New South Wales. So funny what, how flimsy so much of this stuff is, but I've never had to say my pronouns out loud in that way to a bunch of people with such definite, in such a definite way. And so <laughs> I said he, him, and it instantly felt wrong. It felt habitual as opposed to true. And so at the end of that week, I, I looked in the mirror and I used they. And it was an almost immediate the, chain, the, the shift in feeling was extraordinarily profound. I'll never forget sitting on the plane just suddenly excited about myself in a way that never had been. And suddenly it was like, uh, I don't know, I can't really explain it. It was, um, it's never, it's, it, it, I'd never experienced it before. It was this, suddenly this, I can't really put it into words, but it, it was this sort of sudden sense of potential, excitement. Suddenly, I was a door that had been opened. It was like a puzzle being solved. Everything began to click into place. I felt this um, burst of sort of excited peace. A pathway, a sort of narrative, not a narrative because it's true, but a, a, a pathway through my own history became clear that my, my whole um, history became a, a, a path through a field that before that sort of these sort of satellite uh, moments and I suddenly realised that all of these words that I'd been writing to myself were about my gender my identity and that I'd been talking about being non-binary for a decade to myself I've been exploring this for so much of my life without ever actually having that conversation with myself. I deciphered my own language. And it was extraordinary. It, was, it felt, this is hyperbole, but it felt like being reborn in so many ways. I was policing myself so unnecessarily. 
you just be suddenly aware of the amount of effort sometimes this takes, and you just have to wait. There's so much patience when it comes to this conversation. I think that's why so much of this is rambling, and I'm sure there might, I hope there might be some nuggets of interesting stuff in here, but I think it's important to allow myself to be, you kind of have to be patient. I can't speak clearly about this all the time. Nor do I want to, because it needs to be ongoing, it needs to be emotional, it needs to be new and free and honest. That's why music has been so important for me, musicians have been so important for me, because I can, they become meditations. I think theatre and performance in general is that there's an empathetic meditation on the self, on the on identity, or it can. Uh, I think at its core, performance is the performing is, is a way of sharing new language. Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. I'm singing kumbaya in hospital. 